Well, Merry Christmas. Good morning, Brave family. Uh, thank you for joining us online as well, for many of you joining us there. But uh, we're glad to have you here in person, and uh, what a wonderful time of worship. And so today, I'm excited to share what I believe God has placed in my heart for our church this morning. And so I want to uh, invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you, you can do that. If you don't, you can use your phone if you have the Bible app. And if you don't have that, we're going to put it on the screens as always. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 9, and um, I titled the message today, and I just want to say this as a disclaimer. You may not like me after this message, um, so I just want to say that. And I actually told my wife the title of the message last night, and she said, that's pretty heavy. And I said, I know. And she said, are you sure about this? And I said, I think so. And then she said, we may not have anyone left afterwards. And I said, I know. <laughs> so, okay, you ready for the title of the message? Um, if, you, if you have notes, uh, the note cards, take notes today if you like to. We're going to go through a couple of names given for Jesus. But I titled the message, You Will Call on His Name. You will call on His name. And I know for some of you it's going to feel really heavy, especially towards the end. But I make a promise to you on God's word. There will be a day you call on his name. Okay, there we go. There's the heaviness. All right, here we go. So to start, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at four names that Isaiah gives us. And then we're going to look at a name we find in the New Testament as well. And we're going to see how they come together. So Isaiah is a Hebrew prophet, and he writes what we're going to read about 700 years before Jesus even walked the planet. All right, so Isaiah chapter 9, that's where we're going to be, and it's going to give four names, and they reveal who the child will be. Okay, so here's where we're going to start in verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and then he says the government will be on his shoulders. So he makes the statement, a child is born, but a son is given. And the reason that matters to you and to me is because Isaiah wants us to know that the child was born, but the son was given. Here's what that tells you, and it tells me. The son always existed. The child will be born, but the son is given because the son has always been. So that means the son was there before Mary ever became pregnant. The child is born, but the son is given. And then he says he, he's going to carry the government on his shoulders. Here's a translation that you might understand today. He is going to carry the weight of the world on his back. You ever felt like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders? That is what is being implied here is that this child to be born will carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. And then he goes into the first name we're going to teach on. I'm going to teach on is it's Wonderful Counselor. He says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now the word called, you say, well, why don't we name him that? Well, the word called is to proclaim. In other words, this is what people will say about him, that he is a wonderful counselor. The word wonderful is where we get a Hebrew word Pele, which is just interesting because of a soccer player named Pele. And it means to be extraordinary or to marvel. So he's going to be an extraordinary. You're going to marvel at his counsel. The word counselor is a Hebrew word means to advise, consult, or even to provide purpose or planning. So he's going to become a wonderful counselor. 
Now, we know, of course, uh, that this prophetic word speaking by this Hebrew prophet, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is born, is a prophecy about Jesus. And so I want to give you four reasons why I believe Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Number one, because he is creator. Now, think about that with me for just a minute. This is the creator of the world. He made everything that you see. And who knows the creation better than the one who made it? Jesus. He's the creator. He knows you in and out. He knows everything you're going to say before you ever even think it. He's truly a wonderful counselor. I think one of the great things that makes him a wonderful counselor is that he's aware of all things. Now, some of you would say, well, that's not a good counselor because I like to lie to my counselor. But he's a wonderful counselor because he knows all things. He is creator. Number two, he understands your suffering. Jesus doesn't just sympathize. He can empathize with you. Let me read a verse to you from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We'll put it up. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of our understands our weakness, and he's faced all the same testings that we do, yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of the, our gracious God, and there we'll receive his mercy, and we will find grace, and I love this line, to help us when we need it most. Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he is there for you and he's there for me when we need him the most. Even when we've ignored him for years on end, he will be there when we need him most. Third reason why I propose to you that he's a wonderful counselor is because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So for many of you who deal with anxiety, here's what Jesus says to you and he says to me. Give me everything that makes you anxious and I want you to throw it on my shoulders. He will carry the weight of the world on his shoulders, on the shoulders. And here's what makes it a truly wonderful counselor. He's not just a counselor, a wonderful counselor. But he can, because he can carry your anxiety and your anxiety and your anxiety and your anxiety and not get bogged down. It's a wonderful counselor. If you, can you just imagine having a line of humanity at your door waiting for you to counsel them? How many of you would be exhausted by person number one? Have you ever been in a season where you've had to deal with multiple people's issues and it is exhausting and depleting? Okay, let's get more real. How many of you would love to raise your hand, but you won't, but you would love to, and you fall in this category, people exhaust you? I love the honesty of a church. Now, keep your hand up. If you're new here, this is just a random thing. This is an always thing. People exhausted. Come on. Come on, more people. Anyway, that was it. Amen. 
man, can you, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's truly a wonderful counselor. And the fourth reason I believe Jesus is a wonderful counselor is because your only cost is your time and your ear. He's free. Just give him your time and your ear and allow him to counsel you. He's truly a wonderful counselor. The second name that Isaiah gives the child is mighty God. It's the Hebrew word mighty is Gabor. It means strong, mighty, or brave. It actually was a word that was used to describe different types of rulers and kings. Nimrod, for instance, who was a mighty king, a mighty warrior. David and his mighty fighting men. This word, Gabor, in this context is El Gabor, or mighty God. A God who is mighty, or maybe you've heard Almighty God. He is a mighty God. And so I thought about, how can I best explain to you how He's a mighty God? And I went to Revelation 19. Don't turn there. We're not going to put it up either. Revelation 19 is... Uh, Maybe you've heard about people talking about Jesus will come down with the fire in his eyes and the sword on his tongue. He's just this robe of majesty. And he's got a tattoo on his thigh that says the king of kings. I mean, that's beastly right there. Okay, I don't know, but it's beastly. And just majestic, powerful God. You see faces of lions that we use to kind of, you know, think about them mightiness of God, how powerful he is, and his voice. We use James Earl Jones as the best we can. It's God's voice, powerful. I think what makes him so mighty, though, in my opinion, is best explained in one of Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and it comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, and I think in this we find just how powerful our God is. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, Paul writes. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Say, how does that describe a mighty God? Paul was desperate in his desire to find relief, and he could get relief in two ways. It would, be, it would come by removing the load, whatever it was that he was carrying, whatever this thorn in his side was, or it would come by God giving him the strength to carry the weight, to strengthen his shoulders. Instead of removing the thorn from Paul's life, God gave and would keep giving his grace to Paul. That's what it means by the grace of God was sufficient to meet Paul's every need. I want you to think about the power of this, that God has the grace and his grace is sufficient to meet your every need. Now, this is audience participation time. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, please. Even if you don't know them, turn to somebody around them. If you're sitting on your own, okay, just, 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 everybody communicate, ready? I want you to turn to somebody and I want you to say, I am needy. (laughs) I'm needy. Did you know you're a needy person? Does anyone in this room 
have somebody sitting next to them who is needy. Man, they are needy. Every hand should be lifted. Needy. So needy. You are so high maintenance. That's right. She's like another level. I'm not just needy. I'm high maintenance. Did you know you are high maintenance? You require a lot of maintenance. How many would say you are not needy? Exactly. Now, here's what is amazing about this. Paul writes that God's grace, he is so powerful, he can meet your every need. His grace is sufficient. Instead of taking away the thorn, God strengthened Paul under it and would show his strength through Paul's weakness. Grace is the power Listen to this. Grace is the power of God to fill what we lack. That is power. You've heard the verses, with Christ all things are possible. Here's how powerful and mighty God is. He can take a marriage that is absolutely done by all human standards. And through our eyes, he can take a marriage that is literally done I have seen him do this in people's lives, and he can take a broken family and restore it with wholeness and love and peace. That is power. He can heal people who are sick, people who were diagnosed with certain diseases or sicknesses or illnesses. And there are many people walking this plant today with a miracle of God. How many of you have experienced a miracle from God in a physical healing way? Lift your hand. All over the room. He can provide for you when you think there is no provision coming. He has the power to meet your every need. His grace is sufficient. He can even Allow someone's passing in a family to be used for purpose, to turn a family so that one day they would all sit at a table together, rejoicing together in his presence. Think about that. He can use tragic scenarios to turn hearts so they can be in eternity with him. He is a mighty God. You are never too far away for God to extend his gracious hand and to pull you back in that you would know him and that you would be in an eternal place called heaven along with him and those who know him. He's a mighty, mighty God. The third name that Isaiah writes is Everlasting Father. It speaks of of God as father of his people. Another way of saying it is he's the father of eternity. This child would be a father of children. He's not saying he's taking on the role of father within the Trinity. What he's saying is, is that he will be a father of children who are adopted into his family who will carry his name. He'll be an everlasting father. 
You know what everlasting father means? God never stops being fatherly. He never stops loving you and loving me. His love is everlasting. His time is everlasting. He will always give you his time. Many of us grew up in a home, or some of us did, where we longed for our Father to give us time. And for some of us today, you still don't know what that feels like for a Father just to give you time. I just want to tell you, He is an everlasting Father, and He can't wait to get fatherly with you. He's an everlasting Dad. And he loves to be a father. Nothing brings him more joy than to be a dad. This past week, I was supposed to be working. And, but I got distracted. Anybody ever get distracted at your job? And um, I was getting distracted because I was holding my youngest son, Nathan, and, uh, who's one. And I'm holding him in my arms. And we're watching a movie together. I can't even remember the movie that we were watching and he's sitting in my arms, and um, he's just like, you know when a child just gets cozy with you, and it's like those rare moments, and it lasts a while, and he wasn't squirming trying to get out, and so I had an option to pick him up and set him down and disrupt what good things were happening in that moment and risk him starting to just realize that he was sitting in my lap, and I could go to work, or I could just sit and enjoy the moment, and I just thought, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this moment. And I just want you to know that I think, I think in some ways, many ways, like that makes sense to me about how God just loves to sit with us. And he's an everlasting father. He really is. And he can't wait, I think, for his children to come home because he can't wait to get fatherly with you. He's an everlasting father, Isaiah writes. His provisions and his protection will be everlasting. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. The fourth name, and maybe arguably one of those important names that were given by Isaiah, is Prince of Peace. The prince means to be the ruler or leader or the chief. Peace is where we get the Hebrew word shalom from. Some of you maybe have heard that before. You've been to Israel, you've heard the word shalom. It means completeness, soundness, or well-being. The word peace here in this context is more than just what we get when we're on vacation or relaxed on a beach somewhere or in a house that is quiet. Man, it's peaceful in here. It's more than that. Shalom is different because shalom isn't tied to circumstances. Even today in Israel, you hear the greeting of shalom even though they're in the midst of a war zone. I think a man named Gideon experienced something similar to this. And I want to read it to you. It comes from Judges chapter 6. He's in a war zone, yet he experiences God's shalom. He experiences what peace really is in the midst of a war zone. The Israelites are ruled by the Midianites. Judges chapter 6, 
When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Notice the context here in verse 23. It says, though, it says, but the Lord said to him. So this is pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to Gideon before Jesus walks the planet. The angel of the Lord is often referred to as the Lord. That's why we see both here in this verse. So the Lord said to him, peace. Same words that Jesus would use later on with his disciples when he would be on earth. Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and he called it, the Lord is peace. This is where we get the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. It's mentioned one time in Scripture, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. When God showed up in the midst of the situation, Gideon received peace. And I want you to notice that the situation hadn't even changed. These are horrible living conditions. They're under the rule by the Midianites. They have no food. They have no clothes. They're getting stolen all the time. Thieves are breaking into their house. They're in total chaos. And yet, Gideon, in the midst of all the scenario, in the midst of the war zone, says the Lord is peace. Even though he was in the war zone, his view of the war zone had completely changed because of the presence of God. The presence of God had brought him peace. I just want you to know the Prince of Peace is this. The Prince of Peace will come and provide peace in you in the midst of your storm. But this verse speaks to more than just what you and I get out of it and how we can have peace inside of ourselves or peace with one another. how Jesus can show up in the midst of a relationship or work environment situation, whatever it may be, and provide peace to a scenario where you thought there was going to be chaos. But it goes deeper than that. There's an additional meaning to this Prince of Peace. And I think Paul explains best the other I'll say half of Prince of Peace. And this is why I'm telling you, I think maybe this might be one of the most important names that Isaiah writes because of what I'm about to share with you. Paul explains it this way to a church in Rome. And he says, He was delivered over to the death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have, and this is such an impactful statement, He says, you have peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. One translator says, and I think it's a great translation of Prince of Peace, is the one who secures peace. He secures peace. Here's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He made peace with God for you and for me. You and I being in sin, contaminated with sin, not allowed into a presence of a holy God where things are perfect and spotless and holy and righteous. Not one of you in this room can declare righteousness, that is perfection or right standing with God, without God first paying the price for your sin and taking it off of you so that you can become clean to be in the presence of a holy God. And what Paul writes here is when Jesus went to the cross, he made peace with God. There was no peace between you and God, 
but then he made peace between you and God so that you could have a right standing relationship with God. He's the Prince of Peace. He would be the one who would take your sin, take it upon his shoulders, the weight of the world, he would take the weight of sin and place it on his shoulders so that you could have an everlasting father and eternal life with him. Is the Prince of Peace. He doesn't just give you peace in your life today, although he does that, but gives you peace with God all through his death and resurrection. He's the Prince of Peace, Isaiah writes. And the fifth name that we're given, we find in Matthew chapter 1 over the New Testament. An angel appears to a man named Joseph, of course, we know who is married to Mary. And I told my wife this last night, and she said, he wasn't married, he was engaged. Okay, so let's just unpack that just for the context. In case you're like my wife going, whoa, 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 whoa what? Stop. She's like, stop, stop the whole thing. So in Hebrew culture and Jewish culture, weddings were a little unique and a little different. They took a lot longer, sometimes up to a year. But once you were engaged to somebody, in our context we'll say engaged, you were in a way contractually binding married. So they were husband and wife, but they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. They didn't have sex yet. Does that make sense? But once they would do that, then that made it like final at that point. So they were married technically, which is why the NIV translation says married. Some think they were just engaged, but they really weren't engaged. They were technically married. Okay? Okay, there we go. I told my wife I would make sure I explained that. Okay, so they're married technically, all right? Technically. They just haven't consummated their marriage yet. Okay. Now, amen. I told her I was going to throw me off track if I said that. And she's like, you got people know that. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She's technically your wife. But what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We haven't hooked you up yet, but she's got a baby. What's going on? Then she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and that is Isaiah. And here is Isaiah 7.14. He just repeats Isaiah 7.14, written 700 years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Some would say, why don't we call him Emmanuel? Well, you can call him Emmanuel. You can proclaim who he is. In other words, his name is to be Jesus, but a description of who he is is God with us. Emmanuel describes who Jesus is. You will call him, you will proclaim him as God with us. And his name is to be Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua, which means salvation. It's actually a very common name. Joshua is the way we say it in English, right? The book of Joshua, Yeshua, it's the same. It's a very common name. It would be like Mike or John or Bill. It's a very common name. A lot of Jesus is walking around in these biblical times. A lot of Joshua's, a lot of Yeshua's. 
It's interesting to me that God would actually choose a common name. He would come down in the form of a child in a human body using a very common name to display his glory. Makes you what you can think about what he can do with ordinary people like you and me. And he chose an ordinary name. I heard one time somebody tell me, you know, that you're like a really boring person. And, and they said, you're so boring. You're so bland. That's what they told me one day. They said, you're so Ariel. I was like, Ariel? Yeah, you know, Ariel the font. You're so Ariel. <laughs> it's like, okay. So ordinary. So Ariel. I'll never forget that. It stained my heart to this day. It's amazing to me how such an amazing God would enter the world through a child. And I've been fascinated by this idea. We looked at this early in the series about how majestic God is and how grand he is. And he creates the Milky Way and the galaxies and 2.5 billion light years away or whatever. And, and this whole separate, and we, we, we saw these maps and we talked about all this stuff and how big God is. And yet he somehow put himself inside of a child. You know the picture in Aladdin where the genie goes inside the little bitty squeeze, little bitty squeeze of space, you know, like this. Just amazing to me how he would do such a thing. I mean, if you were God and you were going to make yourself known, I mean, I would come in riding on the elephant with all the, have you seen the Will Smith one, the, the live action Aladdin, you know? That everything come in, dancers and singers, here I come throwing out money and roses or whatever. Does that make sense? Yet he comes through a child to reveal his glory to you and me with an ordinary name, Yeshua. Paul explains it this way in Philippians chapter 2. A couple of things, by the way, you should just make note of if you want to about this great name of Jesus. In addition to everything I just told you about this child's name, Jesus, a couple of things that just Something to think about. And I wanted to include these because this is the kind of stuff that just for me personally makes me wonder, how could you not believe that Jesus was and is exactly who he said he was? This child that was born, that Emmanuel talked about, or that Isaiah talked about, never wrote one book. And yet, a book that was written about him has outsold every other book on the planet. According to a 1995 Guinness Book of World Record, over 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold or distributed. Five billion. And that was a long time ago. It was a book about him. Now, I know he was the author behind it. I get it. I know. I'm just proposing to you. He wasn't in like a biography that he wrote. He passed it off to others to write about him, inspiring them as they wrote. Something else that's pretty fascinating about Jesus, this little child that was born, 
if the fact that a man 700 years prior said it was going to happen doesn't blow your mind enough. Oh, and by the way, he prophesied that it would happen, wrote it down. There was no copiers and printers, so that writing had to keep carrying over and over and over again until 700 years later. When you can predict something 700 years before it happens and it happens, I'll believe there's something pretty cool about you. <laughs> and you pull it off. I mean, amazing. If that's not amazing enough, Jesus actually never tra traveled more than 300 miles from his home place. There's no recording in history that tells us that Jesus ever traveled more than 300 miles from the place of his birth. Yet today, the entire world knows about his name. And there was no social media to spread it. Here's something else that I think should blow your mind about Jesus. His birth, the day he was born, his birth into human history, adjusted your calendar that you operate by. When you're adjusting the world's calendar, your birth is kind of important. How many of you in this room were born? How many great people have been born in our world that we know of? Great people. Like we got to shift the whole calendar of time on this guy. A.D., the day of our Lord. The years of our Lord. The... Man, you just got to imagine the glory of God coming through a child. Jesus. What a name. I think Paul explains something profound about this name, Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Remember the title of the message? Do you remember it? You will call on his name. There will be a day you call on his name. And I titled the message as I study this passage deeper and deeper. You will call on his name. And I believe, as awkward as it may sound to you, that this is exactly what Jesus wants you to know today. And I want you to hear it from a tone of love, not a tone of anger, not a tone of disappointment, but out of a tone of a pleading father who loves his children because he wants to be fatherly and he wants to counsel and he wants to provide peace and he wants to meet every single need that you have through his grace a pleading father. There will be a day you call on his name. That I can guarantee you. I promise you. Look what Paul writes in Philippians. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. I heard a story recently of about a guy who was sitting in first class. Has this ever happened to you before? And you're sitting in first class, or you're sitting in a seat, and you're asked to move on an airplane. Well, this guy was in first class, the last row of first class, and the stewardess comes over and says, I'm sorry, there's been a mix-up with some tickets, and we're going to ask you to move back one row because maybe a certain standard of points that he was at was a little bit lower than the other guy. You know? So he throws up 
a big fit on the airplane, starts screaming, this plane is stinks, and maybe used other words that we can't use today, and it's horrible, how could you do this to me? And he walked three feet behind the curtain and sat on the front row. The audacity of these people to move me three feet. You know, we are needy people. <laughs> we have a hard time giving up seats on airplanes, don't we? Come on. When you go on Southwest Airlines, how many you take the aisle in the window first? How many you place stuff in the middle seat to make sure that nobody wants to sit next to the middle seat? Confession time. How many of you pulled the lap, the, the, you know, the tray table down before you ever even take off? Just, oh, 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 sure, you want to sit here? <laughs> sure. I was sitting on an airplane the other day, and the guy comes and sits in the middle, and I'm on the aisle seat, and he takes up both armrests. And you know what my first thought was? The audacity, man. <laughs> you get the right one. Don't you know the window guy gets the right, you get the right, and I get the I get both. <laughs> the aisle guy gets both. Me and my wife were having a long talk about the other night. Like, who gets both? Like, the aisle guy gets both. He doesn't have, he gets both. Yet, think about how we struggle with privilege in our world. It's all I'm pushing on. And yet, God, all-powerful, gives up these privileges to come down, what humility it takes to do such a thing. Divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. It's an ordinary name. But because of what he did, it changed everything about his name. Remember the title of the message, You Will Call on His Name? Here's what Paul writes. That at that name, this really interested me. I want to invite the band to come forward as I read this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I read this, I thought, wait a second. Well, hold on a second. Does it say that every person is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at his feet? It says at the name. It's at the name of Jesus. And in that moment of preparation in this, it kind of really hit me what's being said here. Regardless of what side of the track you're on when Jesus returns, you will call on his name. The only difference is why you're calling it. Either you will call on his name 
out of gratitude and graciousness for the salvation of your soul that you have already obtained. Or you will call on his name trembling in fear of why you didn't before. But you will call on his name. God the Father makes a promise to the Son. Every knee will bow one day. And every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Those who have hardened their hearts to call of the gospel, those who have turned away from the gospel, those who have said no thanks for the salvation of their souls, will call on the name of Jesus with great trembling. People oftentimes say, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. And that is true in one side. But I don't think about the side I'm on. I think about the side that people who don't know Jesus are on. And I can't wait for Jesus to come back because I think about the people who don't know his name and will call on his name out of fear and trembling. I just want you to imagine yourself for a moment. Jesus returning. Some of you will call on his name knowing full and well who he is. And some will call on his name. Maybe pleading, begging to take them to you will call on his name. There's an invitation today. And I think it comes from Isaiah. And he says, I want you to know about this child that's going to be born and his name and who he is. And I have a question I want to ask you today, whether you're watching online or you're here. And there's two groups of people, certainly, and the first one, I think, is the most important. Here's the question I want to ask you. By which name do you need to call him? The first one is Savior. It's what the meaning of Jesus is. It's Yeshua, salvation. Maybe today you don't know him as Savior. Just the one who saves. It is the most important name, I believe, we can be given in Scripture about Jesus. Salvation, that understanding that Jesus Christ paid for your sin and he took the sin so that you could have a right standing with God, that you could have peace with God. Maybe today it's you didn't call him Savior, call him Lord. Maybe it's just calling out the name Jesus in a way of saying, I'm going to say Jesus, and I've never even said Jesus before, calling out his name to become the Lord or maybe even the master of my life. He's Lord. I also am aware that maybe many of you would say, I know him as Savior, but you need to call him by a different name today. Maybe you need to be reminded that he's a wonderful counselor. You are freaking out and panicking about situations in your life. Maybe you're looking for guidance and what to do in 2022. 
what decision to make, can I remind you today that he is a wonderful, wonderful counselor. All you have to do is give him your time and your ear. I think Jesus awaits for you to come into his office, close the door, Matthew 6, and talk with me. I want to be your wonderful counselor. I want to counsel your marriage. I want to counsel you about how to parent. And Jesus loves to get real practical with his children. He loves to counsel those who are hurting. How am I going to make it through this emotionally without this loved one around this Christmas season? Jesus can't wait to counsel you. He is a wonderful counselor. I propose to you before you go see a counselor, go see the counselor, a wonderful counselor. If you go to counseling, that's completely fine. I just propose to you there's a greater counselor, and his name is Jesus. And he is the best counselor. He's a wonderful, wonderful counselor. I have personally received great counseling from Jesus in my life. Just get ready if you decide to go to him as your counselor, because I found out something. He doesn't lie. He tells the truth. And the truth doesn't always feel good, but you know it's good. Like he'll bring up stuff that you did when you were like a little kid. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot you know everything. Shoot. Mighty God. Maybe today you need to be reminded that he is mighty God. You need to call on the mighty God. Mighty God. You need to call on that name, mighty God. And remember that his grace is sufficient. Call on the mighty God who can do things through you that you never thought were possible. Even I was sitting over here in the front row and I thought, mighty God, who am I that I could be here right now talking to you about him? The only one who has the grace to do something like that is Jesus. I looked back around, I saw many of you worshiping, singing, and I just thought to myself, I had this moment, this like personal moment, just thinking, you are a mighty God. Your grace really is sufficient. Your strength is really made perfect in my weaknesses because I couldn't do this. I can't bring people in a door to hear me talk. You made all this happen. Sorry, it's my microphone. Third name, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Maybe for some of you today, I was this hit home to me, hit heavy, when I just thought about people today. Maybe you grew up without a father in your home, and you've been longing for a father. For me, this hit home a couple of months ago. I was talking with a guy who was in ministry for 40 years. And uh, we're talking. He said, Ricky, you know what your problem is? How many of you have ever been given a line? You know what your problem is? And you're like, 
I really don't care what you're about to say. You know? So he says, you know what your problem is? We had been talking for about an hour or so, and I was telling him about some things, and he goes, you know what your problem is? What's my problem? He said, you need to get to know God as your father. I was like, what do you mean? He says, you need to go let him get fatherly with you. Do not go to your closet and address him as God. Go talk to him as your dad. And I can tell you it changed everything about the way I viewed him in a greater and deeper level. I'm not saying he's not God. I'm saying that he's God and he's also my father. And when God becomes your dad, it takes it to a whole nother level. It's amazing how much God really wants to be a father. And he loves to talk with you throughout the whole day. In fact, many days, God doesn't stop talking to me. He always corrects me. <laughs> That's the hard part about having a dad around who can see you all the time. Sometimes I try to run. I'm like, I don't want to do what you said. I think I know better. And then he ends up being right every day. He's an everlasting father. Can I encourage you today, if you don't know what that's like, would you just try God out to be your father? He wants to be a father to you. And the last, Prince of Peace. Maybe you need peace in your home, peace in your life, peace in your marriage. Would you call on the Prince of Peace, the one who provides peace between you and others and peace between you and God? He's the Prince of Peace. By which name do you need to call him today? I invite you to pray this with me here. Right where you are, I just want to give you a moment. Just say, God, and then call out to him by whatever name you need him. Jesus, We love you. Call on his name. If today you need him as Savior, call out Savior. Just say Savior. If you need him as Counselor, just say Counsel me. You need to be reminded that he's a mighty God battling a sickness, frustration, something you don't know if you can overcome, call on a mighty God. Mighty God, come. You're a mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, I need peace. Call on His name. Father, we love you. And we thank you. Would you do me a favor, church? Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close with a song, and I'll come back up and dismiss this. But it's only fitting to give you a moment here to call on his name one more time as we go out this week and to sing about the name of Jesus. And maybe today you're like, man, I'm good. I got counselors. This is great. Then would you just pray for someone around you in this room who doesn't know them? Pray for that family member 
Pray for others to know the name that you know so that when Jesus does return and every name calls on him, would you just make sure then it's not because you didn't pray for them to come to know him? Can we sing the name of Jesus today? Ask the band to sing us out. And I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us. Jesus, Father, we thank you that we get to come and call on your name. And I pray, Father, over all those listening in today, here in this house, those watching online or those who watch it later at some point, God, I pray they would know your name before your coming. 
that they would know you as God. They would know you as Elohim. They would know you as Jehovah. They would know you as salvation. They would know you as a mighty God and a wonderful counselor and an everlasting father and a prince of peace. And I pray that, Father, that you would do the work in them that only you can do. And they would come to know your voice and know you. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation of our souls. Thank you for putting into history something into our lives in ways that we could remember you and know you. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in human form that we could see you, that we could know you. Jesus, I pray your will would be accomplished and be done in every person's life. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.